Chapter 17 of Studies in Stagecraft. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Studies in Stagecraft by Clayton Hamilton. Chapter 17 Continuity of Structure. One of the most difficult problems of the modern dramatist is to map out what may be called the time scheme of his play. In two hours and a half of actual acting time, he must exhibit an imaginary series of events that, in reality, would occupy several hours or days, or even, in some cases, many months or years. And in presenting these events, he must contrive to suggest the impression of an uninterrupted continuity of narrative. He is aided in this task by two traditions of the drama. The first of these is the immemorial convention which allows him to assume a compression of time during the progress of an act, and the second is the more modern convention which permits him to summarize very briefly whatever may have happened in an entreact. But an injudicious application of these two conventions may lead to an apparent improbability that will violate the psychological truth of the entire narrative, and it is therefore necessary that the modern dramatist should account very carefully for the lapse of time that is imagined between the outset of his drama and the end. This careful accounting of time was not demanded in the drama of any period before the present. The authors of Greek tragedy, for instance, were not obliged to plan their plays with an eye upon the clock. Greek tragedy exhibited merely the accumulated effects of an antecedent series of causes stretching back through many years, and expounding their stories retrospectively, it was not difficult for the Attic authors to confine the time-scheme of their tragedies to a single revolution of the sun. A Greek play was presented without intermission, and occupied about two hours of actual acting time, but the audience was quite willing that these actual two hours should be regarded as representative of twenty hours. In other words, the Greek audience accepted the convention of a condensation of time in the ratio of ten to one. Early in the course of Oedipus King, a certain shepherd is sent for, and he appears upon the scene not more than half an hour afterwards, although in actuality he could scarcely have been found in less than half a day. But this compression of time, in a narrative that was logically continuous, did not insult the imagination of the ancient audience. The Elizabethan drama did not even attempt to restrict itself to a ten-to-one ratio in dealing with the element of time. In fact, the majority of the extant Elizabethan plays exhibit no continuous time-scheme whatsoever. The compositions of this period were probably acted without any intermission, and they were constructed, not in a limited number of acts, but in an unlimited number of scenes. In consequence, it would be exceedingly difficult to compute the precise number of days that are assumed to have elapsed between the first scene and the last of Hamlet, or As You Like It, for example. The truth is that such a computation never occurred to the winging mind of Shakespeare. It was not at all necessary for him to work out a time-scheme of Hamlet's trip to England, or to estimate the exact duration of Rosalind's wanderings in the Forest of Arden. The stage for which he built his dramas was incapable of keeping a strict account of either place or time. The time-scheme of the drama became a little more restricted in the plays of Moliere, and of his many imitators throughout the eighteenth century. But, even in this period, Scarcely any account was taken of the time required for the actions of the leading characters off the stage. Throughout the history of the drama, the handling of the category of time has been inextricably intertangled with the handling of the category of place. In the 18th century, a room was represented by a backdrop and wings, 
and an actor left the room by walking through the walls. In such a play as The Rivals, a character walked bodily out of the story when he left the stage, and he did not again enter into the narrative until he was once more needed on the scene. What he had been doing in the meantime, and how many hours were required for this activity beyond the limits of the stage, were not accounted for in the subsequent spectacle of narrative. The play concerned itself solely with those events that happened to the eye within the limited compass of the two hours' traffic of the stage. But the modern drama, with its precise insistence upon localization in place, assumes an equally precise insistence upon localization in time. Whenever an actor makes an exit from a modern box set, the audience demands to know whether he is going into an adjacent room or quitting the house, and this demand requires an explanation of how he occupies himself throughout the period that intervenes before his reappearance on the stage. Thus the physical conditions of the modern theatre impose upon the playwright a new unity of time by demanding an accounting of the actions of his leading characters not only on, but also off, the stage. This unity of time is very skillfully achieved in La Flambe, a three-act drama by the Belgian playwright M. Henry Kistenmakers which was presented in New York with the altered title of The Spy. The story happens at a house party in a baronial chateau. The action begins after dinner on a certain evening, and closes at nine o'clock on the following morning, and the structure is so continuous that the movements of the leading characters are accounted for through every hour of the night. After reading or seeing the play, we seem to have experienced not only those incidents which happened on the stage, but also all the other incidents of the story which happen off the stage between the acts. The narrative progresses even more vigorously when the curtain is down than when it is up. This extraordinary drama is in many ways a masterpiece of art, but the best of all its merits is its uninterrupted continuity of structure. End of chapter 17 Recording by Todd